0: Hello and welcome back to the Armchair F1 podcast and in the last couple of weeks it's certainly becoming clear that Charles Leclerc is way out in front not just maybe in points in the Drivers Championship 34 points ahead of George Russell in second but it seems with Red Bull's cars failing to finish the races with Mercedes seemingly a lot further back than even we thought they were after the first couple of races. Charles Leclerc seems in a league of his own at the moment and as we move from Albert Park and we move to Imola. The question is, can he keep this up? Is the season over? Well, of course, it's not 20 races to go. We move on to discussing Imola here on the Armchair F1 podcast. As ever, you can follow the Armchair F1 podcast across social media at Armchair F1 Pods on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus as well across all major streaming platforms and thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to this new series i've actually been talking to some friends of mine who've never been f1 fans before or haven't really followed it for a good few years and are getting back into it from listening to the podcast so i like to think that we are doing a public service here as much as anything but again please do continue listening loads to look forward to especially especially once my exam season is done and i have some great plans in the pipeline for the summer so stay tuned for that in the meantime though let's get to the australian grand prix joining me this week is dylan mckee to look back at the australian grand prix and i guess there's really no place else to start than charles Leclerc. i mentioned it in the intro this was supposed to be one of the closest most unpredictable seasons that we've ever had in formula one and charles Leclerc seems to be running away with it and no more perfect weekend for him than in albert park pole position fastest lap victory in the race there, there's literally nothing more he could have done that weekend the grand chalem is his and he seems like a very safe bet to be world champion now definitely
1: a perfect start to the season really for charles de you couldn't get much better for him i don't think he's got i think it's 71 points out of seventy. 71 out of
0: 78 which yeah. in in context is not it's not the best that a driver could have got from the start of the season. I think Sebastian Vettel might have beat him, I think sort of around 2017, 2018 time, but it's certainly one of the, one of the best starts ever to a formula one season.
1: Yeah. I think if you chuck in the fact that we haven't seen these regulations before, lots of teams have struggled out of the gate. It is, I'd almost, I'm not going to say miraculous or lucky start because I do think it's well deserved. It's, supremely impressive and definitely lays down the gauntlet for the season to come.
0: Indeed, two two extra things as well. Firstly, the driver with the most points after the first three races is Nico Rosberg from back in 2016 when he got three out of three. That, of course, he winning the first three races. Charles Leclerc has only won two of them and also has got fastest lap in all three races as well, which is pretty impressive. And we said he couldn't do better in Albert Park. He also led every lap. So literally the perfect weekend for him and the Charles Leclerc driver we've been talking about for years as someone who will be a future world champion who's shown his potential who has all the skills that he needs to succeed at the top but I think even those fans who have been sort of championing Charles Leclerc for the last few years have been shocked almost at just how far ahead he's been this year even I'd say relative to Carlos Sainz his teammate that it seems like Charles Leclerc is when push comes to shove When the gauntlet is thrown down, he's the man who gets it done. He's the driver that puts in the performances that Ferrari needs. And, you know, certainly when you see these drivers, of course it's a long season ahead, but Charles Leclerc certainly seems like he's on a rich vein of form and that could continue throughout the season.
1: Definitely. The thing that surprised me most this season, I've had no doubts about Charles Leclerc being fast. We know how fast he can be around a circuit and the thing that's got me so far is how consistently fast he's been because mm. i think that hasn't necessarily been there in the past but it seems to be seems to be coming good for uh, charles leclerc at the moment and i i think it'd be very impressive to see if he can keep this run going into imola and it, the european I, leg of the season
0: yeah i'm excited definitely and it, the thing is about the first three races it's really impressed me about charles leclerc. It's a few things um i know i i feel like i'm a stat bomb at the moment but again for me one part of this brilliant stat Um, on Thursday they put it out on the Facebook page Charles Declare has been first and second in every session that he's taken part in this year so not only is that consistent pace that he's showing but it's obviously in the races as well converting that pace into good race strategy as well there's no one else that I think has got anywhere close to him in terms of that consistency and consistency was always something we were championing with Charles Declare even you know, in the last couple of years with that Ferrari that wasn't so good. He was consistently getting the points and putting that Ferrari in places it didn't necessarily deserve. Now he's got that fast car. He's showing exactly what he can do with it. And I think to add an extra element here, let's bring Carlos Sainz into this because Sainz, of course, finished ahead of the Claire last year. A lot of people saying that it was a potential upset of what of the order Ferrari were expecting, that Sainz was supposed to come in and be the number two. And it's not that science has necessarily done badly, but certainly when it comes to the pre- dealing with the pressure so far, Charles Leclerc has outfoxed him on all accounts, especially in Australia. Difficult weekend for Carlos Sainz. You could argue the red flag in qualifying in Q3 potentially stopped him getting higher up the grid, but losing places at the start, spinning off on the third lap. A lot of people have said that was Carlos Sainz's worst weekend in a Ferrari shirt. Do you think we should be concerned that maybe with the pressure getting to them now, with being at the top of the grid, that we could see maybe more of these kind of performances? Do you think this was maybe just a one off blip from science or something, certainly compared to Leclerc's consistency, that could be worrying Ferrari?
1: I think if I was Ferrari, I'd be worried about my second driver not scoring any points and having such mm. an atrocious weekend. But it's not what we've come to expect of science, And I think if we look back in the past, the first five races he had in McLaren were honestly atrocious. And I think
0: that he did the come back... The first races of any season he's in, to be honest. Yeah,
1: I think that he definitely came back stronger from that, learned how to drive the car. And I think he was up there level with Norris by the end of the season. And mm. just looking at sort of how science and his contract negotiations seem to go i think he can be his own worst enemy and get in his head when that contract insecurity is there so the fact that he's got a two-year deal now uh signed up as a mclaren uh ferrari driver <laughs> until the end of 2024 that i think that'll add some stability and probably help with the fears on learning this new car too
0: i mean mclaren may be wishing they kept him i i so. I, think... I, I think so I, but again, we'll come on to McLaren in a bit, but sticking with Ferrari for now, uh, you mentioned that contract negotiation. Now, there's uh, there's a lot of reasons I've heard people saying that Science has signed the contract. Firstly, because he's obviously, I think, a deserved Ferrari driver in the first place. There's the cynics who are saying they've only kept him on to give Mick Schumacher more time to develop. But I'm still waiting to see Mick Schumacher, the future Ferrari driver in that house at the moment. So I, I think Ferrari certainly see him as a valuable asset to the team as someone who on the most part does bring the points. But the big question that Ferrari are going to have is who is, is will they need to start having Carlos Sainz as a number two, as a clear wingman to Charles Leclerc by the end of the season? Because even Mercedes last season, who was so viscerally against having a number one and a number two, having the championship battle last year against the Red Bull structure, which has a clear number one, Mercedes are very clear. Yes, we have to prioritise Lewis Hamilton in all circumstances. Now, Ferrari historically, out of every team, have been the one team who have had the number one and the number two structure. More clearly, just look at the Schumi years. But certainly, so far, Mattia Binotto has been very clear. He's not trying to have such a clear number one, number two structure. But Charles Leclerc being so far ahead, Max Verstappen, who would be a lot closer if his engine wasn't blowing up every two seconds. It certainly seems a lot of people saying already after the first three races, Carlos Sainz is going to have to inevitably play that number two role as the season goes on. I mean, do you do you think talk of that is very premature? Do you think we're just... Because I think a little bit it, of it is we've seen how good Charles Leclerc has been at the start of the season and F, and Ferrari and F1 fans are going, well, you know, he's he is going to clearly be the driver we have to prioritise this season and let's just get that out of the way very quickly. It's not something Ferrari have done very popularly, though, in the past. I mean, Dylan, what do you think to that?
1: I think that it is very premature. I mean, if we go ahead to Imola, Leclerc has a bad weekend because the the stakes are a lot higher in the sprint race. If you're out in the sprint race, you're starting 20th for the race and you've missed out on a whole chunk of points. So it's definitely high stakes this weekend. And I'd certainly be worried if I was Red Bull and I had to clock up that extra mileage (laughs) with a rather unreliable car. But um, I think it's too early to write off science. I think it's too early to write off anyone. I think, yes, Leclerc has been consistently fast and consistently got the job done, but we're only at race three. And I don't think we've seen a title contender emerge yet, other than,
0: obviously, Leclerc obviously and Cheryl. Leclerc, But I, I, I'd say, certainly, it's not time to rule Carlos science out just yet. And I think, again... He could have gone on the podium in Australia, had circumstances, maybe conspired more in his way. And I think, to be honest, a lot of it is just luck. And Charles Leclerc, you could argue, has rode his luck quite well at the start of the season as well, in a way that, you know, Max Verstappen has when his car's not been blowing up. In a way, Carlos Sainz did in Bahrain as well. So I wouldn't rule them out yet. But certainly, consistency, as we have seen throughout, you know, Formula One seasons, is crucial to keeping you in the championship fight, crucial to getting you up that leaderboard. Charles Leclerc has that in abundance at the moment. Carlos Sainz, we know, does have it on his day. Max Verstappen, we know, is a very consistent driver. First and second in every race he finished last year, aside from the Hungarian Grand Prix. But it seems his car doesn't have that same consistency in wanting to get to the end of the race. Um, The second time out of the first three races that Max Verstappen has had to retire with engine problems. Of course, there's new Red Bull powertrains that they, there's that effectively, it's not as new as it of course was going to originally be. Honda is still heavily involved in the engine, but we've got this new powertrain, the new biofuel as well, which we understand Red Bull have been having some issues adapting to. This is for a team that were championing themselves as wanting to build upon the driver's title last year, put the fight up to Ferrari. Verstappen goes into Imola in sixth place 46 points behind Charles Leclerc and there has never been as big a gap sort of claimed back as the season goes on so how how far on the back foot is Max Verstappen already and I'm going to say as well entirely is the result of his car
1: well I think if your car is finishing one out of three races you're Shafted.
0: (laughs) There's no no other way to go
1: about it. There's no other way to go go about it. If your car is not finishing the race, you're not scoring points, and you're not going to defend your title. It's as easy as that. And already, race three, a 51 point... Oh, sorry. That's terrible maths. 46
0: points. You're the PPE student here, Dylan.
1: I know. You can see why I dropped the (laughs) economics, but here we go. I mean, really, the scale of the gap is massive where you'd have to get two Ferrari DNFs from Leclerc to make up mm. that gap in simple terms. And I just can't see that happening. That Ferrari looks mechanically, aerodynamically solid
0: all around. I mean, we are off to Monaco soon, so that is a guaranteed DNF for Claire. So that is yes. one race you can potentially take <laughs> back on. I'm, do you know I'm really confused with Red Bull this season because they left testing and i would say probably after testing they were the team that i was thinking was going to go to bahrain and be the fastest car be the most consistent car and we've got so used to a consistent red bull package since they dropped the honda sorry since they dropped the Renault engine moved on to honda and that has been probably the most reliable car on the grid since then and i know they've had the new powertrain they've got the biofuels this season that they're adapting to but it seems like Red Bull are kind of falling into these traps that a lot of new teams fall into, or particularly when there's a big change. And I don't know, Red Bull haven't always adapted well to big changes in the past. Just look back at 2014 as an example of that. But even then, you'd expect to see them out the front. with a driver like Max Verstappen, he's getting himself in all the right places, but the car is letting him down. And I think... Consistently, I I mean it's not the kind of relationship where he'll leave Red Bull as a result of it. He's very institutionalized there. But it's the kind of thing that would be extremely frustrating where you know you've got the potential, but you can't compete because of the car. And I mean, really, what more can Red Bull do? Because obviously they've got the powertrains that they're working on, and there's all of this stuff that they're doing there. But is it just a the case they need to make that engine more reliable? Or I mean, really, what, what else can they do? Because I can't, I can't think of anything because I can't put any of the blame on the drivers for how it's gone so far.
1: No, I, I honestly don't think you can because it's the drivers are up there. They've been scoring of in running in the podium positions mm. where you'd expect the Red Bull drivers to be. And I mean, it's, it's now in an era where we've got the engine freeze coming up. So that engine is going to have to be good yeah. before it is frozen. It's going to have to be reliable. And you're in an era where the budget cap has kicked in. So every dollar, pound, euro you spend on fixing that engine is something you can't spend on making the car go faster. So it's, it's definitely going to be something that will come back and bite them, I think.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it's not just, um, obviously, that Red Bull... Red Bulls have more aero time than Mercedes. They've got more of this development time than them, and they've got more money to spend. But crucially... Ferrari have got even more money to spend than both Mercedes and Red Bull. They've got more aero time and they had more of it last year as well. So this is, this is a difficult situation that I think Red Bull find themselves in. The only saving grace, as we said, the drivers are performing very well when the car is working. I mean, Sergio Perez, I would say, has continued his form from the end of last season, brought that into this season. Of course, for Red Bull, he's do- he has been doing, I would say, Perez exactly what they asked of him and exactly what Ferrari I think are expecting from Carlos Sainz when Charles de Clare would not be scoring as well. He's putting in those performances and getting that Red Bull into places it needs to be. And I've got to say, I thought Sergio Perez drove fantastically in Australia. One of, if not maybe his best drive in a Red Bull since he's got into the team, the moves that he was putting on the Mercedes cars clearly showing I think a very good race craft as well that Perez has always been associated with and always had. But I think certainly taking up that mantle, especially when Verstappen retired from the race as well and getting that Red Bull into second, you know, he he is a real asset to that team and certainly in the fight with Ferrari as well, going to be going to be an important part, especially if Carlos Sainz is having a few wobbles.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting that the pace has continued. I think Perez looks a lot more comfortable driving this car. But the interesting thing for me in comparing these two driver lineups, yes, Carlos has had a bad start to the season, but on his day, he is as fast, or if not faster than Leclerc. Whereas I don't think you can say the same for Perez.
0: Yeah, I, I'd, agree. I'd agree with you there, to be fair. I mean, Perez, I think you you know what you get, you get strong consistency with him. But yeah, you wouldn't expect Sergio Perez to win a world championship. Although I I I don't know. There've been some strong performances from him this year. That poll in Saudi Arabia, I think, changed some of my perspective on him. The fact that, yeah, okay, he's not always been the best qualifier in the world. But he's adapted very well to this car. And he hasn't looked too far off for Stappen. Certainly closer than he was in last year's car. And again, if the Red Bull is being inconsistent like this You know, Perez is getting himself into the places that he needs to. You know, just take Bahrain, for example. Had his car not spun and shut down on the last lap, Perez would have put that car on the podium. Exactly what he needed to do for the team. He's obviously there. He's not winning the races. And I think that's the difference between Verstappen and him Verstappen would put that car in a race winning position. Perez could, but he'd consistently put it in at least behind the Ferraris, at least fighting Carlos Sainz. So I'll I'll concede to you on that. But I do think he is a better driver last se- this season than he was this. The last- so he's a better driver this season than he was last season, even with all of the development that's in with carrying that form over, and obviously with the new cars as well. So yeah, I I, I wouldn't quite write Perez off, perhaps in the same way.
1: Yeah, I think. I can sort of agree. I feel like just looking at the way he was driving in Abu Dhabi last year, mm. you're like, well, Perez's career is far from over, you know, <laughs> he's still got the aggression and the speed and the sort of will to fight for these championship titles, even if they weren't obviously for her, for his own title in that respect.
0: It's just it's a collective effort. That's what it is. Every, everyone contributes to the Verstappen Temple mm. at rebel. He It was like partly his title as well and maybe in a way at Maranello, if the Claire wins this year and Sainz does the similar things maybe he can claim similarly but this title fight is of course going to be really exciting as we go throughout the season of course going to Imola to one of the two races for the Tafosi to be out in action that is going to be exciting this weekend we'll come on to that later but in the meantime we need to talk about a slight revival from the last weekend because Mercedes and McLaren weren't terrible in Australia that to look forward to next stick around here on the armchair f1 podcast now Dylan um George Russell I've got to talk about him very quickly because so far this season George Russell has outscored Lewis Hamilton in two out of the th- first three races he got his first proper podium this weekend I know I know there'll be many people saying to me right now why am I discounting Belgium 2021 in that way But I think we all know if we watch that race or at least watch the safety car in that race, we know exactly why. But George Russell has been, I I would say, the better of the two drivers in the Mercedes so far. And we kind of touched upon this last time out, that he certainly seemed to have adapted better to the car. And Lewis Hamilton certainly has been more vocal in his criticism of it. But that podium last time out in Australia, now you could argue strategy played a part in that the timing of the safety car was very convenient for him. But when he got himself into that position, George Russell... He delivered. Yes, he may have struggled to hold Perez off, but certainly there was enough of a gap, I would say, to Lewis Hamilton that didn't really look like threatening him by the end of the race. And George Russell certainly deserved that podium. And he's been, he's been, I would say, the better driver out of the two at the moment for Mercedes.
1: I think so. Although I would say that my opinion is heavily skewed by Hamilton's performance in Jeddah because I think his performance that weekend just... George Russell was in a league of his own in comparison. And I think that really does have such a bearing on our opinions because obviously we're only three races into the season,
0: which I keep saying. but um, It's an important fact because obviously we're, we're, we're talking based upon, you know, the first three out of 23 races. There's a lot more that can still change. And I mean, do you see Lewis Hamilton maybe just having a few early season issues? He's not always had the best of starts with the Mercedes car, but he's gone on to absolutely dominate by the time we come to the middle of the season. So do you think it's just taking him longer to find his feet and George Russell's taking advantage of that? Potentially. I'm not
1: sure how much of this narrative is skewed, like I said, by the Jeddah weekend, Mm. but also by the fact that Russell was on the podium as a result of certain things going his way in Melbourne. So I'm not sure. I think we could have easily seen um, Hamilton on the podium without, Uh, any sort of yellow flags safety cars those sorts of things so it it's an interesting one for me I think it'll definitely develop as the season goes on but I don't know I'm intrigued going forward especially because of the sprint race this weekend just to see how everything develops because I think these sprint races are really going to be a catalyst to the championship going forward I, th-
0: I think so and i think particularly with the the nature of the fact that obviously the points have been extended as well and there should be some more kind of fights up and down the grid and especially where mercedes are now where they're not in that top two bracket they are the third fastest car and george russell has at least on every weekend been putting that mercedes where the third fastest car deserves to be now Jeddah, we do have to consider because that was a terrible weekend for lewis hamilton unca- uncharacteristically terrible And I think Australia, I kind of hope, allayed some of the nerves that it was an uncharacteristically terrible weekend for Lewis Hamilton. But I think George Russell has been quite impressive since he's gone to Mercedes. And certainly a lot of people didn't expect Lewis Hamilton to run away with the intra-team battle in the same way that he was with Aldri Bottas. But certainly George Russell, I think has certainly looked comfortable. He's staked his claim since he got into that team. And he has been putting in the performances. Now, you mentioned, obviously, he got lucky there with the safety cars. And I would agree. But when he had his chance, he took it. Lewis Hamilton will have his luck throughout the season. I imagine he'll take that as well. But certainly for Mercedes at the moment, they're in an interesting position, being the third fastest car. And there's no real need, I would say, to prioritize one driver over another, unlike if they were in a championship battle at the moment. So... You know, can this intra-team dynamic, do, do you see that potentially changing, getting a bit frostier as the season goes on? Maybe if Mercedes do manage to improve that car, because certainly Lewis Hamilton doesn't like losing, but George Russell seems to be looking a lot more comfortable than any teammate he's had it in recent years. I
1: think we haven't seen them race in close proximity yet. And I think as soon as we get to that point, that's when things might get a bit frosty because looking at the way things are, Mercedes aren't going to be fighting for the championship this year, the constructors mm. championship. It doesn't look like it, unless there's vast improvement in that car. So at this stage, it's just points maximisation from every uh, from every race. That's what they want to try and solidify being second or third in that championship, depending on how the Red Bull reliability goes.
0: I mean, that's always, that's always a, a good thing to have, that you can stake your claim based upon how unreliable your opponent is. I think that that's it's always a nice comfort blanket to have. But certainly, we talk about Mercedes and this somewhat revival last weekend because and maybe it was just Jeddah that completely undermines the whole idea of Mercedes as the first third fastest car, Lewis Hamilton having a completely atrocious weekend and people taking too much from that. But... We were saying two weeks ago, you know, this Mercedes car has got issues with straight line speed. It's got a lot of issues just with the engine, with the aerodynamics, potentially with the biofuel as well. That's just not making it work. A lot of these Mercedes power cars have got more issues with porpoising as well. So there's there's a lot of things that have been contributing to this. But certainly for both the Mercedes drivers and for McLaren as well. Now, maybe the fact that the Albert Park circuit is more downforce heavy than it is relying upon straight line speed for example that's something that probably could have played a part here but of course with the porpoising the need to generate downforce from that i don't know maybe all levels out but certainly mercedes had a good weekend last time out as the third fastest car mclaren also very clearly the fourth fastest car last time out in albert park as well and a crucial double points finish for both daniel ricardo and lando norris i mean are you encouraged seeing the performances of those two cars, thinking that maybe a lot of the, I would say, doom-ridden predictions that some have made of Mercedes and Mercedes-powered cars after the first couple of races, is it more maybe a track-by-track thing that we're going to see throughout the season? Because I think I think certainly with the cars as they are at the moment, I do think it will vary perhaps between more downfalls-heavy tracks and tracks more line upon straight-line speed. But do you think there's... I'd say not just encouraging signs, but consistently encouraging sh- signs that show that actually the problems aren't as deep as we thought and can be fixed throughout the season.
1: I think that we definitely have to wait and see. I mean, like you said, it could vary so much track to track. I know our first load of upgrades will be coming in in MLA mm. for the European leg of the season. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can fix some of the issues inherent to their cars there. But It's promising to see them finishing in the points. I mean, it's not as embarrassing as seeing sort of Hamilton fighting with Magnussen over 10th place. It's it's more promising. It's what you'd expect from McLaren. Maybe you'd expect Mercedes a bit further up. But like you said, if you're moving forward, then that's what you want to see
0: yeah and it's interesting because obviously the other two mercedes power cars the williams and the aston martin are still firmly at the back of the grid and actually in aston martin's case had a pretty terrible weekend out in australia the fastest aston martin driver throughout the weekend i think it's safe to say was sebastian vettel on that buggy at the end of fp1 but (laughs) <laughs> I mean, well, it's, we, we've. I think this is going to be a constant theme we're talking about throughout the season. And as you said, it's still very early days. We don't exactly know what the diagnosis of the problems that Mercedes and Mercedes-powered cars have got at the moment. But I mean, certainly Melbourne was the most encouraging weekend that they had throughout the season. Yet yeah, Imola certainly, as a track, has yeah, it's, it's narrow like Albert Park. That's about the closest it's got to sort of similar track dynamics so do you think perhaps we need to have more races like Imola we need to have a few more races before we can totally determine where the Mercedes cars are which drivers are adapting better to those cars or do you think we've seen enough from the first few races because I certainly think we've seen enough to say Mercedes are the third fastest car I think after Australia I can say there will be tracks that suit the McLaren more than others, but I would say they're around the bottom of the top 10 mark. I mean, do you think there's anything perceptive we can say right now? I think that you can just, I don't know, it
1: takes a while for a trajectory Mm. to be built, and I think we'll see that emerge over the coming races. And I think you're right in the variations, we'll see. It'll definitely go track by track. And I don't know if... I'd agree that I mean bottom of the top ten maybe is is a correct assessment for McLaren, but even Mercedes, they were being outperformed by Haas and Alpine and Alfa Romeo. It's really all up in the air, I think, depending on the track. I do think those bigger teams will have greater potential to outdevelop the others going into going forward, just with what they can get out of the resources that they have. But I'd say there's no sort of Clear pecking order that I can see from sort of the top three down at the moment, especially because of how flexible, it was just how strong the Alfa Romeo was. Mm. The Alpine this weekend um, in Melbourne, I honestly thought Alonso had a good chance of sticking that on pole because that was a stunning lap from him Literally. until he pinned it in the gravel.
0: Yeah. And that, that, Alpine was a very good car. And indeed, I know, we know that there have kind of been some issues that have been mentioned with the hydraulics that potentially contributed to that crash. But Alpine's an interesting one because I had said that they were certainly after Bahrain for me, going to finish fourth in the constructors. I felt they were going to have these consistent opportunities to, to score and take opportunities like that. I mean, Alpine, people forget Alpine do have two very strong drivers in Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon who they do have a track record of getting good results. But, yeah, there's a lot of unpredictability, which I think is making this exciting. I mean, the thing with Alpine, I would say, their strategy with Fernando Alonso let them down. Now, obviously, the closing of the pit lane didn't help them, and that wasn't necessarily the, the best thing, and certainly maybe not the best bit of luck that Alpine could have had there. But, certainly looking at Esteban Ocon, if you just take out sort of the top three teams, Esteban Ocon is the best of the rest on 20 points at the moment. He's been getting in some very consistent results and I'm I'm say I'm more confident about them than any of the other teams Alfa Romeo and Haas have obviously done well in the first couple of races when I'd say fell back a little bit in Australia as McLaren kind of had a much better weekend but Alpine have been very consistent I would say so I don't know if we are perceptively forming a pecking order that we've all agreed is too early to say but we're going to try anyway I think Alpine have the potential to spring a few surprises in these next few races. I think so.
1: I think, like you said, Ocon is emerging as best of the rest. I think that might have been a different story if Alonso had managed to get those points that he wanted mm. in Melbourne. But obviously a lot of factors come into this. I to think be fair, that, he could have easily got the podium as well. I think so. If he, if he had been where he should have been, then, yeah, I, I wouldn't have said it's out of the question. But, like... You know, there are so many factors that come into these things. I think it's clear that Aston Martin and Williams are going to be waddling around at the bottom. But from there up till you have the clear Red Bull, Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari, I I couldn't tell you what order they're coming in. And I think it will change race by race.
0: And just focusing on Aston Martin and Williams quickly, and I guess we have to... Firstly, let's start off with the good news. Alex Albon getting his first point of the season. Now, I thought he was... Not an upgrade on George. Well, no one I think was going to be an upgrade on George Russell. I think anyone they could have got was going to be a downgrade. But Alex Albon was the least of the downgrades that I think Williams could have gone for. He is a good driver, nonetheless, and I don't think his stint at Red Bull showed off just how good he could be on his day. Just look at him in F2 and a lot of the battles he had with the likes of Claire and Russell in there. But... Masterminding a strategy, Williams. And to be honest, they they were saying that they thought even with that strategy, they were going to still fall to the back of the grip Obviously, safety car, field spread, all of this stuff came together for Alex Albon for him to score his first point of the season. A very good strategic call there from Williams, and it's these kind of opportunities where Williams are going to take their points this season, the way they're going to have it, and you've got to take it and. Certainly for Alex Albon to do that, that would be a massive morale boost to everyone at Grove.
1: Definitely getting that one point will mean a lot. And I think it's interesting that you can pull off those high risk strategies Mm -hmm. or that's what it's looking like at the moment because of how the field is spread. So I think that does bring the bottom teams into contention. How consistently it will, I'm not too sure. But the fact that you can pull off a high risk strategy and get that 10th place will make the constructors battle at the bottom of the table very important. Very tense, I feel towards the end of the season.
0: It's it's a sort of a tenseness over being terrible, and it's like who's the least terrible, and I think that's going to be quite interesting. And when it comes to being the least terrible, um, spare a thought for Nicholas Latifi, Lance Stroll, and I, I don't want to say Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Sebastian Vettel had seemingly well, had a magnetic attraction to the walls in Albert Park. Now, obviously, he hadn't driv- really driven the car much either in testing or indeed in the first couple of races because he had COVID. So I'm willing to let him off. But Nicholas Latifi, of course, has had a magnetic attraction to Wolves in both Saudi Arabia and in Albert Park. And Lance Stroll seems to have a magnetic attraction now to Nicholas Satifi. That qualifying crash at the end of Q2, I mean, look right, Lance Stroll's in his sixth season in Formula 1, Latifi his third. That is the crash you'd be expecting two rookies to make, just tripping over each other trying to start their laps it was i mean you actually literally messaged me when you saw the crash and it was you were just shocked and it was it was a sad moment of comedy that i felt justified all of the moanings i'd ever made about nicholas satifi and lance stroll i mean if you're a team at the bottom of the grid just how concerned should you be when you're seeing your drivers being so accident prone like this and making frankly quite clumsy mistakes i mean i was bleary eyed it was just gone 7am <laughs> and i couldn't quite believe what i'd seen
1: I, I was honestly disbelief i messaged you i was like is this Has this happened
0: like have they just done this because it's not what you expect from two of the best drivers in the world i mean i wouldn't call them two of the best drivers in the world there's there's better F 2 i would say well i would agree but that's, this is the title <laughs> they're supposed to hold i mean if there's not money
1: behind it then i don't think we'd see either of them but especially in latifi's case how can you justify imposing such costs on you know a, not the richest team on the grid when you've crashed in four of the last four race
0: weekends must be costing that team a fortune well at least gunter stein is not their team principal because that debrief if that was the case of either them, after that debrief would have been quite something well australian grand prix great to be back in melbourne i certainly enjoyed it and looking ahead we're going to move on to the emilia romagna grand prix in imola very shortly but i think certainly taking stock from the first three races as we now return to the european leg i mean certainly we've mentioned ferrari and rebels seemingly far out ahead that consistency from shoulder claire mercedes having the third fastest car but not always maybe the performances to justify that that close battle throughout the midfield and then aston martin and williams having magnetic magnetic attractions to the walls seemingly massive sandbags dragging them back on the straights And then occasionally fun tyre strategies to get Alex Albon into the top 10. I mean, is there anything else really from the first three races you found that you can say we can see as a trend going forward throughout this season? I'm going to say no. (laughs) I think it's still up in the air.
1: I think Leclerc as world champion come December is probably the most likely trend if we continue as
0: we do but but still 19 slash 20 races to go exactly and that would have been a whole season in previous years (laughs) so so plenty plenty more maybe we just reset the clocks and start max verstappen on minus 46 and carlos Sainz on minus 34 and just see how they can go from that in the meantime though we're going to take a look now at the amelia romagna grand prix the return of imola to the f1 calendar one of my favorite tracks one that I know is a massive fan favourite as well, and a Tofoti hotspot. So all of that to look forward to. Stick around as we talk about that next, here on the Armchair F1 podcast. Formula 1 is back in Emilia-Romagna this weekend. Now, our resident emilia Romanian is not here to share his love of Emilia-Romagna and why it and Imola is the greatest track on the calendar this year so i think we have in some ways been spared and blessed in having that but Imola, of course has had some fantastic moments in history of course it's a track that up until 2020 was off the calendar for 13 years Would probably have never made it back onto the calendar had coronavirus never happened but it's a track that has produced some great moments in history that last slap battle between fernando alonso and michael schumacher in 2005 one that really does stick out to a lot of people, of course, Mika Hakkinen's crash in 1999 as well. It, it was when Mika Hakkinen had two big crashes in 1999 that nearly cost him the world championship, both of them in Italy, both of them in front of the Tifosi. It seems that Mika Hakkinen's record in Italy is that season was somewhat just as bad as Max Verstappen in 2020. Indeed, actually, in the last couple of years, in the five races that Max Verstappen has raced in Italy, He's only finished one of them. And that was his winning in Amelia romagna last year. Of course, last year's race in Amelia romagna was phenomenal. A wet track drying out throughout, of course. Lewis Hamilton starting on pole. Max Verstappen coming from third on the grid. Very aggressive move into turn one to take the lead. We saw Lewis Hamilton nearly crash out fall the lap down and nearly crash out of the race, only really to be spared by a red flag after an almighty crash a massive crash between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell, one that left actually both of them having quite an angry reaction to each other afterwards, and one that certainly I don't think would have impressed Toto Wolff and impressed him to give George Russell a seat for this year. Um, But again, a fantastic recovery drive from Lewis Hamilton in the second half of the race to take his spot on the podium behind Verstappen, Lando Norris, getting his first podium of the season and his second in his career and what was a fantastic start to the season for him. I mean, Dylan, Imola has given us some great moments over the years. It has of course also given us our fair share of tragedy um, in 1994 as well. It's a track with a lot of history and it's one that I think Formula One is a much better place to have on the calendar.
1: I definitely agree. We've seen some great, great racing both in the present and the past. So I'm looking forward to this weekend and like you said, lots of uh, winners and losers in last year's Grand Prix. So it would be interesting to see who comes out on top this time.
0: Indeed. And again, another track where Nicolas Satifi has met the wall as well. So, you know, true to fashion, maybe Nicolas Satifi will do it again this weekend. Um, one big thing, though, this weekend coming to the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix is the return of the sprint races. Now, we saw the sprint races introduced at three tracks Last year, um, Silverstone, Monza and Interlagos. This year, they're being held at Imola on the Red Bull Ring and at Interlagos again. Now, there's been a few changes to the sprints and I actually welcome these changes. I think FOM have made the right decisions, the big one. So the first one is, I think, purely cosmetic one in that the pole position was always given to the driver who won sprint qualifying. Well, now they've said no, it should be, as rightly is the case, the driver who's fastest in the qualifying session. So purely cosmetic change. I'm quite happy with that. The biggest change, though, that they've made to the sprint races is that instead of only giving points to the top three drivers, they're now giving points to the top eight. And again, this was in response to calls from fans for more competitive racing. And the fear that some drivers lower down the grid may be a bit more conservative, may not be taking as many risks as there were only points available to the top three. I think the way they've done it, eight to one, makes sense. You're only going for a third of the distance of the race only covering the top eight again i think that makes sense it's not the full distance of the race and the top eight is i think a good point to really encourage racing throughout i'm really optimistic about the changes they've made to sprint qualifying and certainly as someone who didn't necessarily feel like the sprint races necessarily added much value last year i think i'm encouraged by the fact that if they're going to stick around they made the right changes to make them more appealing to the fans this year. Is that something you would agree with, Dylan?
1: I think so. I think these sprint races were brought in to increase viewership across the weekend and mm. they achieved that last year and you can see why. Like if you're putting a race on, I'm going to watch it. So there's that. But I think the changes they've made, especially with the points, is what we want to see because otherwise it does feel like a bit of a parade with not much purpose so I think you increase the sort of meaningfulness of the sprint by adding some points and I think definitely while it's a fan pleaser moving that pole position statistic to the Friday is what we wanted to see because otherwise you get some you know how can you have pole position without being the fastest driver over one lap doesn't make sense to me
0: it it doesn't and I feel maybe if they'd have again something else another future will change maybe Formula 1 could have brought in a point For pole position in the future that's something i quite like to see but i think yeah you can't you can't claim you're at the front without um yeah without being the fastest but i guess the whole thing about the identity of the sprint race and really the role it serves because we were from what we understand there were plans for six sprint races originally so three we've got plus one in bahrain one in canada and one at Zanfort. but the teams couldn't agree on that final three, particularly regarding the budget cap and the extra money that that would have required. So we've got the three again. And I guess the big question is, given that potentially, say you're in a championship fight and the say the driver who's in second in the championship wins all three sprint races and the driver who finishes first in the championship doesn't win, or sorry, the, yeah, the driver who wins the championship wins all three sprint races, the driver in second doesn't win any of them or doesn't score in any of them and say you've got a, a gap of let's say a 23 point gap between first and second Now, obviously if you take the sprint races out then the driver in second wins the championship by a point so the big debate obviously at this point becomes how much value do they add to the season without necessarily changing too much if they weren't there especially because you're only putting them across your races it, basically it's a complex debate from last year of how much value do they add to the weekend and how they should be institutionalized going forward and i think they've certainly made a good move here i don't know whether there's room for more races potentially or more different formats throughout the weekend i'm i mean certainly do you think where what role do you see the sprints having dylan because i think obviously the more, more points are good but it does increase the potential for them to change the championship in more drastic circumstances, shall we say. So do you think maybe more sprints would have been better?
1: I don't think so. I think when the first sprints were introduced, I don't know if you remember years ago, they tried to introduce a new qualifying format where they eliminated what, 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 a
0: disar- driver. Oh, that dis- yeah, that, that disastrous one. Yeah,
1: Yeah, they eliminated a driver every two minutes or something. And it was just the most bizarre thing. And you're like, why would you try and fix something that's not actually broken. And I think my my attitude to the sprint races was very much that when they first came in. But obviously they were brought in to achieve a sort of not racing-fueled objective. (laughs) It was because they wanted to increase viewership over the weekend, and they did that. And I think the fact that they're making some of these changes that fans want to see is a decent compromise. But whether whether I'd want to see more, I think my answer would be no. There are tracks that lend themselves to a sprint
0: but not all of them i think what i would need to see is i need to see a more consistent strategy really of what the sprint races mean to the season now say you I, I like the idea of having you know you have three or four weekends a season where you have this different format and you can muck around a bit and i think i know whether it requires them being held at the same track each year maybe you could have for example at interlagos for example you could have not only are we going to brazil but we're having this sprint format that's perfect for Brazil as well. I think maybe it's interesting we're going to some different tracks to what we were last season. So obviously if there's a characteristic of a lot of the tracks that held the sprint races last year, they're very wide. They've got big braking zones. Now, Imola's got big braking zones, but it's very narrow. And so overtaking there, which is, I guess, one of the points about the sprint races could be quite interesting. The Red Bull Ring, again, does have some big braking zones again a little bit narrow so maybe f1 are just trying to work out what tracks it works at best but again there are there's a lot of cosmetic changes in formula one that have been taking place in the last few years but i feel that this one does have potential if they work it right so i'm excited to see sprint qualifying back it does mean though i have to try and find an excuse to watch a race on a saturday afternoon whilst i'm also trying to work which isn't entirely the most convenient but You know, Sunday afternoon, I know what I'll be doing. I'll be watching the race somewhere and I'll be having a great time. Um, We've got to make our predictions now. An exciting Grand Prix ahead. We'll be coming up with those very shortly here on the Armchair F1 podcast. Okay, before we move on to the predictions in Imola, Dylan, let's look back at some of the predictions that we'd had from last time out so shall we start off with your predictions oh dear i don't know I don't if they, they were very promising <laughs> so you predicted de claire on pole you also predicted ricardo and schumacher to score in the points so what i'd say two out of three so far you also predicted a de claire victory so three out of four and then for stappen and science on the podium Yeah, it kind of drops off a bit there (laughs) towards the end, doesn't it? (laughs) A little bit. But to be fair, you did better than Rory, who predicted a Verstappen victory, the Clare second, Sainz third, and Schumacher in the points. So you did a lot better than Rory. Um, I would say, to be fair, you you did better than Joe as well. Or or perhaps maybe equal Joe. So Joe predicted a Clare victory like yourself. He also predicted Verstappen in second. He predicted Perez third. Perez did get the podium though, but he also gave Verstappen pole position and said no more than one DNF. So I said you guys have equaled it. I, so I predicted a Verstappen victory. Perez in second, which I, I feel in hindsight was an amazing prediction to make. Um, the Claire third Verstappen on pole. And then Aston Martin and Williams to both score points. Again, I got one out. Oh, yeah, two. you got the one, to be fair. But do you know what? I am going to... This is a tight one, but I think I am going to give half a point to both yourself and Joe there. Mainly mainly because I the fact I miss Charles Leclerc's dominance at the start of the season, predictive Max Verstappen, just completely undermines me on all accounts. So, after the last three races, in my completely, completely scientific scoreboard, Base of whatever are the whims that comes up in my head. Joe, top of the moment with two points. Myself and you, Dylan, on half a point each. So we'll be keeping these going throughout the season, seeing who has the best crystal ball. But in the meantime, it's time to test our crystal balls now and see what we are predicting. Now, before we make these predictions, um, Dylan, it's a wet qualifying this weekend. We, well, I say it's a wet qualifying. We are This episode is going out literally just before qualifying so i'm kind of hoping that the rain is still there it's going to be a wet practice from what we understand but Mm -hmm. i'm kind of hoping if it stopped raining the track is still going to be really wet and it's going to be intermediates and of course wet qualifying always has the habit of throwing up a few surprises
1: definitely and i think it's really going to be interesting because we haven't run these cars in the wet before and if you had a bit of rain it takes the emphasis off the top speed of these cars. So it's really going to put those Mercedes powers cars into Mm. the mix and
0: completely blow up all predictions that we make. Lewis Hamilton on pole. I would take that. I would take it any day of the week, but if that's what happens today, yeah, I think this is going to be quite an exciting qualifying indeed. And you always get a mixed up grid when it's wet qualifying. And I think with the sprint format as well, it's going to be dry Saturday, Sunday. So I think that could really throw up a few surprises. So We've now, yeah, we've got the unenviable job now of trying to make some predictions with a potential wet qualifying coming today. Um, Dylan, I'm going to start off with pole position. Um, Who do you have on pole? Ooh.
1: I don't know. He might have to come back to me. I'm thinking about how risky I want to go.
0: I'm saying Charles Clare. I Uh, I mean, Charles Clare's record mm. in the wet, he's not always been someone who's necessarily impressed loads in the wet before, but... I think the way he's been driving that car. I think particularly if it starts drying up by qualifying, so of course qualifying later on in the day, there may be a bit more dew around. Sure, but I think even if we're in inter conditions, I think the nature of Imola as a track that is more focused on top speed than downforce, I think that's going to play into his hands. So I'm giving Shell. I don't think it'll be as dominant, but I'm giving Shell the pole position.
1: Oh. I don't know whether to go for the safe choice, which I feel like is Charles Leclerc, or go for something delusional and say science.
0: I feel you you do what you do, you, Dylan, but I need to know now. I'm gonna say science. That's my final answer. And to be fair, science does have a lot to answer for. Well, not a lot to answer for, but I think he's got a lot to that he'd want to show. I think I'm, I'm pushing the comeback kid narrative. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what Carlos Science, when whenever he's Had questions asked before, he has come back stronger as a result of it. So maybe this is the weekend with that new contract. We see Carlos signs get that pole position and put in those performances. All right, I need your winner for the sprint race now. I'm also going Charles Leclerc to win the sprint race. I'll
1: go Leclerc as well. I think he he'll have it in the sprint.
0: Okay, so two for Charles Leclerc in the sprint race, Dylan. I now need your top three. I am going. I'll 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 help. I'm going. Charles Leclerc to win it's a running theme now but I do yeah. think in the Ferrari a car that's got good top speed around that track it'll be dry on Sunday as well I see the Claire winning that race Carlos Sainz coming in second so a Ferrari one two and then Max Verstappen I think his car will see to the end of the race and he will come in third so that's my top three
1: I'm not sure if the Ferrari one two is too good to be true Ooh. in Italy I think it might be I'm gonna go for Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz, the classic this year, I feel.
0: So I, I think it's somewhat similar predictions, but enough of a, I think enough of a difference there. I think it's going to be interesting to see mm. who gets closest <laughs> to the mark at the end of this. I'm also, I want something random. I've gone a double Alpine points finish in both the sprint race and the race itself. I think they've got two strong drivers in the wet. I think that Alpine does just look like a consistent car. And I think when, when you get, wet qualifying it tends to be those cars at the top of the midfield that edge their way towards the front and i think alpine is that car so dylan what is your any random prediction that you want to make this weekend i'm
1: i'm feeling quite boisterous i'm gonna go no alpine points at the end of the weekend Ooh. oh no you points in the race I'll, I'll contradict what you're saying no, no alpine race.
0: race points then so i feel i feel basically dylan you've just done your predictions to spite me here which
1: you know we're we're both on half a point so we're gonna gonna split the difference
0: either way i think one of us is going to take it and one the whole point and one of us not this weekend but Mm. certainly a lot to look forward to Imola's always a fun race i always love watching the cars go around there and i think particularly with wet qualifying adding to the potential drama of course we saw what the rain did to last year's race in imola I'm looking forward to this weekend. Well, Dylan, it's been fantastic to have you on this week. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll be back in two weeks as F1 jets off to Miami. And I can tell you just how much I'm looking forward to racing around another car park. In the meantime, please do follow us across social media um also on all major streaming platforms as well at armchair f1 pod we'll be back as i said in two weeks time to look over what will be a fantastic grand prix here in emilia Romania. until then we'll see you next time